Well, good evening. If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 33 through 37 this evening. You can find that on page 963 in your pew Bible. Now, if you were here last Sunday night, students, in case you were wondering, there is no Chick-fil-A gift cards to give out afterwards this week. I apologize. However, uh, Pastor McCurd has graciously offered himself down front after the sermon. If you bring him your sermon notes, he'll give you a wonderful big hug and tell you congratulations and a big smile. So that may be worth it to you. It would be to me. I'll do that afterwards. Maybe you'll join him as well. But we are continuing our sermon series through the Sermon on the Mount. And tonight we find ourselves at the fourth of six of the antithetical statements where Jesus is debunking bad theology. In each of these six statements, if you recall, begins something where it begins something like this where Jesus says, You that you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And he uses this formula throughout these six antitheses, creating a clear contrast behind, uh, excuse me, between what was being taught from the religious leaders regarding the Old Testament law and what he is definitively saying. Now, notice he's not here stating a new law. There have been people throughout history who have taught that Jesus is giving a new law. He's not giving a new law. We discussed that back in Matthew, uh, early in verse 17. Jesus says he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. What he's dealing with is how the religious leaders of the day taught the law. And essentially what they had done is lower the standard of the law in order to show off their righteousness, in order to be able to fulfill the requirements. So Jesus' teaching is not a new law, but his teaching is the law as it was originally intended. What we have in this passage before us, in in each of these six antitheses, is Jesus' authoritative interpretation and his authoritative application of the original intent of the Old Testament law. And so our passage tonight deals with the taking of oaths. Now, maybe you're thinking, why are we talking about this? Why oaths? Outside of a courtroom, why is this relevant? Well, we will see once again that like anger and lust and divorce, Jesus is taking the topic of an oath, right? He's taking perjury, as it were, and he's driving it deeper. He's internalizing it, and he's raising the bar to where it should have been, raising the bar of truthfulness, truthfulness for Christ followers, specifically with our words. And like in previous passages, As he does this, what we're going to see tonight is it begins to expose the fact that all of us have an issue 
with being honest. Follow along with me from Matthew chapter 5. Hear God's word this evening. Verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, open our hearts, our minds, our eyes. Would you prick our consciences through your word in Christ's name? Amen. Several years ago, I was fortunate enough to witness one of the most sacred rituals known to man, apart from marriage. It was around Christmas time, and it occurred in my own house, amongst my children. And the, the subject was between my son and my daughter. And I overheard this sacred ritual taking place. And it was over candy. You see, my son wanted a piece of my daughter's Christmas candy, and in exchange, she wanted a piece of his gum. And so in this most sacred of rituals, we overhear this phrase. My daughter says, do you pinky promise? And immediately the fingers were locked, and just like that, the great exchange took place. This sacred ritual... And Kelly and I scratched our heads because we started thinking, where did you learn this? Where did you learn this concept, this idea of a pinky promise? But the older our children have gotten, the more prevalent we have begun to realize that these things happen. And while no one has ever been able to tell me what the consequences are of breaking the pinky promise... All three of my children would tell you that this may as well be a blood oath that should never be broken. And I find it interesting that children at any age are keenly aware of the fact that people will deceive you. The fact that a pinky promise even exists among children shows that they understand the sinfulness to some degree of the human heart. They know that people will break their word. And whether intentional or unintentional, we all make promises that we don't keep. We lie. Which is why, in the eyes of a child, it is necessary to have a pinky promise, to keep your word. And it's clear that honesty in oath-taking was an issue in the Old Testament and in Jesus' day, as much as it is in ours as well. So much so that he, he deals with the issue amongst the issues of anger and lust and divorce. And there's four things I want us to look at tonight as we look at this topic. And here's the four things. Number one is an oath explained. Number two is an oath broken. Number three is an oath forbidden. You can put a question mark by that one. An oath forbidden. 
And number four, an oath abandoned. First, an oath explained. Whereas in the other passages, Jesus dealt with the sixth and the seventh commandment regarding murder and adultery, here Jesus' concern is for the third commandment in taking the Lord's name in vain. Look with me at verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Jesus is not dealing with a direct quote from the Old Testament law, but rather a conglomeration of Old Testament teachings. He's kind of got a hodgepodge of verses together. Here's a few of those verses that speak directly to the issue. Leviticus 19.12 You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. Numbers 30 verse 2 If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Deuteronomy 23, excuse me, 21 through 23. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay in fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you and you will be guilty of sin. An oath was simply a vow that someone would make and call upon God to witness it. And in so doing, that God is the witness of that truth, that statement that they're making, or God is the witness that they're going to carry out a particular duty. And again, it was common in the Old Testament, and it's common for us today. Sworn testimony in a court of law. You place your hand on the Bible and you raise your right hand. You swear to tell the truth the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help you God. Many professions require you to take an oath. Physicians, attorneys, government officials all take oaths of office. When you join this church, you take a vow. All of our elders and deacons have taken vows. All of our pastors have taken vows. And we take these vows and oaths as a way to solemnize this agreement. And they're common, but they're also serious. And what what is clear from the Old Testament law is that irreverent oaths, that broken vows, specifically in light of the use of the Lord's name, were forbidden. And they're serious business. And so in in one sense, Jesus is actually agreeing with this statement. Perjury was a big deal. That's why he's going to such great lengths to show that they shouldn't be done flippantly. So maybe you're asking yourself the question, what's the big deal? What's the issue here? Well, that leads me to my second point. An oath broken. Where's the distortion? Look with me at verse 34. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you not, cannot make one hair white or black. So there's a couple distortions that I want to point out for you. The first is this. The distortion was not, was, was not whether or not breaking an oath before God was wrong. Right? They were clear about that. They were clear about the fact that, that perjury is wrong. The distortion came... When they said that only perjury was wrong. 
that only breaking vows taken in God's name could be considered sin. What the religious leaders had done is restricted truthfulness. They lowered the standard. They they externalized it. They made it obtainable. It's the first distortion. The second distortion we see is that they created loopholes to get out of the promises that they were making. So instead of swearing by God, they would swear by heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem or by the color of their head or whatever you would say. And because this wasn't perjury, you could break your promise. You could break your oath without repercussions. So in essence, if God is my witness, well, then I better not break it. But if I'm swearing by heaven, by earth, maybe you've heard other people say or in movies, I swear on my children's lives or I swear, swear on my uh, dead relative's grave. Well, anything else, when you swear by that, then you had wiggle room to get out. And you can only imagine the results. You had a, a society, an organization where people, no one had to keep their, their word. No one had to keep their promises. No promise meant anything. Jesus actually deals with this later again in Matthew 23 with the Pharisees who are swearing by the temple or swearing by the gold in the temple or the altar. And essentially what Jesus is authoritatively laying down here is saying is that I am the creator and Lord of all. And as creator and Lord, if you're swearing by anything and you break it, then you are guilty of sin then you are guilty of lying. Because swearing by heaven is swearing by me. Breaking any oath, any vow, is sin. Don't take it lightly, he says. It's better to be honest. I have three best friends who I went to college with, and and all three of these guys are like brothers to me, and I love these guys dearly, and we love to laugh, we love to play jokes, we love to uh, prank each other, and early on in our friendship, we would straight up lie to each other, we just straight up lie. We were young in our faith, uh, we were young in the idea of accountability, you know, where somebody starts to get up in your world, and somebody starts to get up in your business, and starts to ask questions, and uh, so we would lie just to get out of it. Where were you last night? Uh, you know, just straight up lie to each other. And so at some point, I don't remember exactly when, but at some point we came up with a phrase that it was kind of like your trump card in, in, a, in a game of spades. It was the ace of spades, so to speak. But if you said the phrase, on our friendship, right? If you invoked on our friendship, then that means whatever you said, you had to tell the truth. And if you didn't respond and you didn't say on our friendship, I knew you were lying every single time. For us, that was our way of, of, of getting to the truth. Right? I guess we didn't want to swear to God, right? So we swore on our friendship. The problem is, is I think as I look back on it, maybe we should have just been honest, right? Maybe we should have just been honest And that wouldn't have been necessary. Because swearing by anything, 
is swearing to God, is swearing on God. Jesus is calling us as followers of Christ to a higher level of truthfulness. This leads me to my third point, an oath forbidden. Now, before we move on, I wanted to at least take a moment and look at what Jesus doesn't mean in this passage. Verse 34 says very plainly, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Perhaps you have even heard that before. There are certain religious groups throughout history, the Anabaptists and the Quakers, who have interpreted verse 34 to mean that Jesus is forbidding the swearing of any and all oath ever. Right? doesn't matter if it's a civil oath. doesn't matter if it's a religious oath. These groups believe that, that oath-taking, oath-swearing, was completely off-limits. Now, there's a sense in which uh, we applaud their, uh, their reading of God's Word. We, uh, we applaud the fact that they're taking serious Jesus' teachings. But I think that they take their interpretation a bit too far. Because what we see is throughout the Old and the New Testaments, we see oaths being used. Right? In the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all swore oaths. And each of those occasions were solemn, and they were serious occasions. But they're not rebuked for them. Likewise, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul In Romans 9.1, he says this, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. Again, we see it in 2 Corinthians 1.23. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Hebrews 6, author of Hebrews writes, For people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all their disputes, an oath is final and, com- and for confirmation. If you'll notice, the author of Hebrews, he's not forbidding the taking of oaths. He's actually confirming it as a practice that's acceptable. Finally, in Matthew 26, verse 63, our Lord Jesus, while he's on trial before the high priests, Verse 63 says this, But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. You see, Jesus doesn't rebuke the high priest, and condemn him for speaking in such a manner. But rather, he answers the question. He answers the question under oath. So if you look at the whole of Scripture, we see this idea that when it is our duty, that taking an oath, repeating a vow, is totally acceptable, it's permissible, it's legitimate. It's even part of our worship. If you were here this morning, then we had baptisms, beautiful, the sacrament of baptism, at both services this morning. And if you'll notice that either the new member or the parents both took vows. And if you were here, 
and you are a member of this church, you took a vow. That last vow was for you. You vowed to, to come alongside those parents and, and help raise that child up to know and love God. So vow-taking is not what Jesus is the issue here. He doesn't, he's not dealing with that. The issue, he's not dealing with legitimate oath-taking, but it's the flippant taking of oaths that Jesus has an issue with and a deeper issue of truthfulness in our speech. Which leads me to my last point, an oath abandoned. Verse 37. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Maybe you've heard it in other versions. Yes, let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Now, we know that honesty and we know that truthfulness as a whole is a problem in our society. It's election season right now. And you're probably already completely sick of the advertisements. Right? Watching college football yesterday, all day long, getting bombarded with, with this candidate says this, and this candidate did this. And if, the, if these accusations are true, nobody's qualified to run for office. If, if you listen to and all of these accusations are actually true, then we're all in a world of hope, a hurt. I mean, this is, it's absolutely ridiculous, right? We live in a society, we live in a world where everything has to be run now through fact checkers. Every speech, right? Every time somebody gives a speech, every single thing has to be run through fact checkers. And whether or not you believe the fact checkers depends on how much research you've done about the organization. Because if you start researching the fact checkers, you go, well, they're supported by this group. There's no way they're actually fact checkers, right? It goes on and on. We don't even believe the fact checkers. We have our favorite source of news. Why? Well, because the other side is a bunch of liars. We live in a time where it's hard to know what to believe. And in all seriousness, I personally find it quite exhausting and disorienting. But here's the thing. It's not just the politicians. It's not just the media. And it's not just those people out there. Because it's us as well. Because the truth is, we all lie. We lie to God, we lie to ourselves, and we lie to each other. So let me ask you a question, why? Why do we lie? Let me walk through a couple of these for us this evening. Why do we lie? Maybe you're nefarious. Right? There are people who, who lie because they're swindlers and they're crooks and they want to take advantage of you or they want to take advantage of a situation and so they will lie. Right? I hope and I pray that that is none of you, but that is a category of liars. Right? They're just crooks. 
Why else do we lie? Maybe we don't want to hurt people's feelings. I don't want to hurt someone else's feelings. Oh, I love your outfit. Wow, your hair looks great. I haven't been, nobody's told me that in a very long time. Just, <laughs> just, so, just so we're clear. But I really like what you said there. I really like this about you. We use flattery, don't we, all the time. How do I look? How, when was the last time somebody said, how do I look? Or the last time somebody said, how did that taste? You went, well, do you really want me to be honest right now? No, it was great, wonderful. Wow, you look amazing. Ah, you know, that's not your best look. Really? No. Right, we use flattery all the time because we're afraid to hurt someone's feelings. Why else? We don't want to deal with the truth, quite frankly. Our own truth. Dad, your beard is getting gray. <laughs> no, 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 no. See, I did yard work yesterday, and I was out in the sun, and it's just, it's a little blonde, is what I tell my kids. I'm like, no, it's just, it's just a little blonde. We don't want to deal with the truth. We don't want to deal with the truth that for some reason, companies now make large t-shirts way smaller than they used to. They just, you know, these, these doggone companies just started changing their sizes over the last five or six years. Perhaps you have a medical issue down deep that you're afraid, oh, everything's fine. But really it's gnawing inside of you and you probably should get it checked out. Right? We struggle to deal with our own issues. Maybe it's not a physical health issue. Maybe it's a spiritual issue. I don't have a problem with anger. I don't have a problem with lust. I don't have a problem with substance abuse. I don't have a problem with whatever it may be. We struggle to deal with the truth. We struggle to deal with our own inadequacies. We struggle to deal with our humanness, that we're frail creatures who age and aren't quite as good as we once were. And so we lie. Maybe we lie to avoid the consequences. As a young boy, I was a part of the Boy Scouts organization. Maybe some of you are familiar with the Boy Scouts. Uh, and every year, we had this thing called the Pinewood Derby. I don't know if you were a Boy Scout, you remember it, but they, they would give you this block of wood, and I think it came in a box, and everything that you needed was apparently in this box, right? So you got your block of wood, you got your tires, and you got these little bitty uh, nails that would hold the wheels on. And they didn't come with spare parts, right? It wasn't like Ikea, where you got 48 extra parts when you're done. Right, this, what you had was what you got. And so I vividly remember one year, I got my little Pinewood Derby box car. I was excited. And my mom looks at me and she says, hey, don't take that out of your, don't, don't take it out of the box. Just leave it in the box until we're ready, until you're going you're gonna to go over to this friend's house. and He's going to help you cut it up and get it all ready. Don't take it out because I don't want you to lose the pieces. What did I do? I took it out. Right? I go to my room. I take it out. A yard sale, everything all over the place. And it came time 
for me to, to put it all back together. My mother realized, okay, you just yard sailed it. You did what I asked you not to do. Put it all back together. Well, when it came time to get everything back in the box, I was missing one of the nails that held one of the wheels on. I could not find it anywhere. My mom specifically said, if you don't find that nail, then you're not going to be able to compete. You have to find the nail. Okay? So I started thinking, and in my brilliance, what did I do? I just reached up on the shelf, grabbed the car from the year before, took the nail out. Hey, found it! I don't know how she didn't. She did know. Actually, she ended up knowing. But uh, I found it. Did you take that out of the other car? No, of course not. Right now, if you looked hard enough, it's it's leaning because the back tire is off. But I vividly remember. I did not. I wanted that so bad. And it was several months later. I went on. I competed in the event. Several months later, I remember laying in bed one night, and I was so convicted. Because I had lied, and I'd been sitting on this lie. And I remember getting up and, and going to my mom's room and saying, hey, I need to tell you something. I lied about this. And it was months before then. And in God's kindness and mercy, she said, I know. And I forgive you, and I love you. Always tell me the truth. Students, young people in particular, a pattern of lying, a pattern of deceiving, and hiding from your parents now may seem like the best option because it's going to get you out of whatever consequences in the short term. But there are deeper spiritual implications to dishonesty as well. But it's not just teenagers and it's not just children. Adults do it as well. How often have you left late a meeting or left late for an engagement so you quickly send a text message be there in five minutes knowing that you are 20 minutes away you know you know you're not going to be there in five minutes right but you feel better by saying five minutes at least this person knows versus owning up and say you know i'm running behind i was late What's way worse is saying, you know, I just made a a series of really bad decisions today and didn't manage my time well. I'm sorry I'm late. It's really rude. We don't say that. No. It's way easier to cover it up, at least in our minds, right? But it's a lie. Maybe we don't know how to respond, so we lie. How are you doing? Great. Fine. Doing well. Internally, we're dying inside. Internally, we're struggling. Right? Now, I'm not saying you have to, to lay your life out for the cashier. But oftentimes, we lie because we don't know what else to do or say. Maybe you're afraid of being rejected or losing friendships. And so you tell people what you want them to hear. Or at least they want to hear. How often have you ever verbally overcommitted? knowing there's no way you're going to accomplish that. But you don't want to let someone down by saying no. How often have we said, praying for you, and you've never prayed for that individual? It's convicting, isn't it? And it should be. 
So if you are here tonight and you are exploring the truths of Christianity, perhaps your heart has been pricked by the gospel tonight. Perhaps you realize that I'm a liar, that I, I'm not nearly as great as I thought I was, that I need a Savior. If that's you, uh, we would love to talk with you after the service. Come find one of our pastors or our elders. We'd love to talk to you more about what it means to be a Christian. If you're here tonight and you're a follower of Christ, I, I pray that your hearts and our hearts are pricked as well. Because as Christians, every single commitment we make is before God. And we are to view it as such. So I would encourage you, take some time this week, maybe at the end of every day, spend some time reflecting on your day and look back. Did I lie? Maybe you didn't mean to. Maybe it was just a white lie. But regardless, spend some time reflecting on your day. Call it what it is. Confess it. Repent of it. Confess your lies. Maybe you need to confess to someone you lied to. And as we reflect on our days, may we not stop short of thanking God for Jesus, who never lied, who gives us his perfect record as our own. May we thank him for his continued love, for his continued mercy to a bunch of liars. And may Christ's love for us Grow our love for him and may our willingness to speak the truth in all situations grow as well. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we do humbly ask that you would grow our love for you out of your love for us. Would you convict us by your truth? May we honestly reflect on our lives. May we learn to grow in our honesty with you, with ourselves, and with others. In Christ's name, amen.